Hey, Grace Baptist Chapel, this is Blake. I'm alongside Pastor Ryan. We are again walking through the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Pastor Ryan, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, brother. Um, you excited about this chapter on baptism? Very much so. Believer's baptism. Um, but the chapter title, this is chapter 29, says of baptism. So we can get into this. There's four paragraphs, uh, short paragraphs. So why don't you start us off? As you've said before, the first paragraph defines the the topic or the doctrine discussed in the chapter. So what do we have here, first paragraph? Yeah, you know, the previous chapter gave a summary of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and now the next two chapters are going to entail discussion about each of those, right? And this chapter is baptism, and it begins, baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ. The word ordinance means something that is ordained, and this chapter, like many chapters since chapter 7, flows out of an understanding of covenant. The New Testament, or New Covenant, is that arrangement that we are in now in redemptive history, and so baptism is an ordinance or a sacrament, you can use those words interchangeably, uh, of the new covenant. And it's ordained by Christ, which is partly why we would want to say that it's different than other things that we do, because it is specifically ordained by Christ. You must do it. Right, right. And then the paragraph gives us a discussion of, of the things that it entails. It is for the person baptized a sign, we would say a covenant sign of that person's fellowship with him, in his death, resurrection, and of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. In that paragraph, I think two things at least are happening. Baptism is a covenant sign wherein God speaks, as it, as it were, right? It's a visible word, and it proclaims these kinds of things, right? You are, by faith, united with Christ in his death and resurrection, Right. Yeah. Um, it is a sign in, in, in that sense where God speaks, but notice that it's also where we speak. We give public testimony mm-hmm. of our faith in Christ. Um, and we often use that formula when we have baptisms here at Grace. Yeah. Right. It's not just you saying, I've trusted in Christ. It is that. But it's you, the person being baptized, saying, I renounce sin and Satan to follow Christ. And it is God saying, by virtue of your union with Christ through faith in him, these things are are true. These are covenant promises. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One thing I appreciate about the confession in a, in a, in a paragraph like this, there's, there's, there's something here that, that is true that is not maybe talked about enough in some circles. So it speaks about uh, fellowship with Christ in his death and resurrection. Yeah. We often hear that, and we hear that it's a sign of fellowship and that we've We've had our sins forgiven. They're washed away. But then there's this last part. It's a sign that you're giving up your life unto God mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. So in your baptism, you are publicly declaring, yep. I am going to live for Jesus. Right, which is why it's important when we have individuals who profess Christ to make sure that they understand that before they walk into the waters of baptism. It's not as simple as, ah, oh, someone prayed this prayer, let's get them dunked, right? Yeah. There is a, no, 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 There's a covenant reality here, and a person needs to be prepared, even yeah. at a younger age, to, to make public testimony. You know, in the churches I grew up in, um, we sort of replaced baptism as a profession of faith with walking an aisle. 
Um, and really, we ought to think of baptism as that moment where a person makes public profession of faith in Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. After after a time of preparation. Yep. You know, paragraph two says that now that we understand who what, what baptism is, paragraph two addresses who should be baptized. And this would be a Reformation, a Puritan-era document that is slightly different than its sister confession because this one is a credo-baptist or a I-believe-baptist, believers-baptist kind of document. Notice what it says. Those who do actually profess repentance towards God, faith in and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, are the only proper subjects of this ordinance. The early Baptists had to say this because they were in disagreement that you should baptize infants, right? Um, But I think it's important for us to also understand that this confession, I think, rightly doesn't talk about getting baptized as a believer multiple times. Oh, I've rededicated my life to Christ. Let me get baptized again. No, no, no. Baptism is based on profession of faith in Christ in the triune name. Um, And it, it needs to be for those who are professing faith in Christ. But I think we have to be careful that we don't somehow think that every time someone rededicates their life or questions whether they were truly saved uh, when they were, you know, a teenager, that they need mm-hmm. to get rebaptized. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. And then paragraph three. I think it's a very practical paragraph. It really is addressing how we baptize. The outward element is water. You know, we don't baptize uh, in sand. We don't baptize uh, with leaves. We baptize with water because that's what Christ has prescribed for it. I was looking for examples of things to compare with water, right? But we, we see that it is to be, according to Matthew 28, in the triune name, right? Mm-hmm. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And three gives us the elements of the sacrament or ordinance. Mm-hmm. Four gives us the mode. Um, and four is important because four says immersion lowering of someone or dipping of a person in water is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance. Mm. The word due there, and I'm borrowing on the work of Jim Renahan here, the word due, when it was used in the 1600s, probably should be interpreted by our ears as proper. So, you know, here at Grace, if someone was baptized as a believer in another church, but that baptism as a believer was done by sprinkling or pouring, we accept that as a valid baptism, but we would say it's improper because of this word. Okay, so to clarify on that, the mode you would say is improper. However, paragraph 3 still needs to be in place. They need to be baptized by water and in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, so I think that, that four is important, and we only practice immersion here. Uh, but even the confession itself, when it was written, is saying the, the proper way to do this is the immersion or dipping of a person in water. And, you know, the early particular Baptists, some of them came out of congregations where there was a difference on baptism, mm-hmm. um, and there was a desire not to divide over things that they didn't have to divide over. So they put this in here because this is a proper understanding of the Scripture. But I don't think it means that if a person was sprinkled as a believer, professing Christ in the triune name in an Orthodox church, that they need to get rebaptized just because of the amount of water. Even though we would want to say the amount of water and the way you do it is important because that's... That's what we see in Scripture. But it's just, this is the ideal. Yeah, right. Yeah, very good. Well, Grace, thanks for joining us. We encourage you to read the Confession. This is a, a relatively short chapter, four paragraphs. 
um, but very helpful paragraphs and helps us understand more about uh, our confession, but also the faith that we proclaim. Anyways, Lord willing, we'll see you guys next week.